Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. Thanks to Raya Eyewear for sponsoring this episode of Holding Court. I've been wearing Raya since last year. During the pandemic, I started teaching more lessons than ever before, especially outside. Raya are by far the best sunglasses for tennis I've ever used. Check them out at RayaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. And use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. They are total game changers. All right, time for another edition of Holden Court. Patrick McEnroe here. And boy, what a pleasure it is to have this man on. They call him the Ultra Marathon Man, uh, Dean Carnassus. And uh, I mean, it's... It's just like jaw-dropping, Dean, as I've, I've learned about uh, all the, the, the different things you've done, the 200-mile race solo, the 50 you know, marathons, 50 days, 50 states. I don't know how logistically you managed to pull that off, not to mention how you – I heard you, by the way, Dean, and thank you for doing this. I heard you on Letterman and you know, the Conan interviews, and you, you joked about you know, they, they deliver you pizzas and all that stuff. But I, I, I want to actually really know. Because coming with my athletic background uh, in playing tennis, you know, I've tried all different types of eating over the years. But I actually want to know, like, how the hell you actually pulled that off, meaning like physically. Because obviously you've been <laughs> running your whole life. Uh, let's, let, let's start there before we get into the diet part and just how I know you started running when you were in kindergarten. You started running home from school so that your mom didn't have to pick you up. I wish my kids would do that sometimes, by the way. Um, so how did it all start, your interest in running? And then I know you left the sport for a while and got back into it on your 30th birthday. That's a whole other story. But talk to me a little bit, Dean, about how – it started and why as a young kid you got so interested in running yeah no you're right it started when i was in kindergarten and you know we had a uh, a third child in my family and my mom was having a hard time getting me home from school so i just said you know don't worry about it mom i'll, I'll just i'll get home myself and she said you know well how are you going to do that and i said i'll just run <laughs> and how far was it you know, how far is it from school the the route i followed was over a mile Okay. And not for kindergarten, yeah, that's pretty long. Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember sitting in class just, you know, wanting to chew my hand off uh, mm-hmm. with just, you know, get me out of here. Like, you know, we, <laughs> we put kids in, we put young boys in the classroom and tell them to sit still and pay attention. And what right. does every young boy want, you know, to go wild and not pay attention? Mm-hmm. So as soon as that bell rang, I just remember running out the door and like relating to the world, mm-hmm. uh, you know, by running through it. And those are my earliest childhood recollections. And then to your point, I, uh, I quit running after um, winning the state championship mm-hmm. uh, in cross country in high school. Didn't run for over 15 years. And then I was in mm-hmm. a bar <laughs> on my 30th birthday doing what, you know, most guys do on their 30th birthday. You know, I was drinking with my buddies. Getting drunk. And at midnight, right. I, right. Yeah. At midnight, I told them I was leaving. And they said, well, hold it. You know, let's have another round of tequila. Well, where are you going? And I said, no, instead of uh, drinking to celebrate my 30th birthday. I'm going to run 30 miles to celebrate. And, you know, and they looked at me and they said, well, you're not a runner, you're drunk. Mm. <laughs> and I said, I am, but I'm still going to do it. And I literally walked out of the bar. I didn't even own running gear. Thankfully, I had these, like, uh, comfortable silk, uh, un- you know, boxer shorts on. Mm-hmm. So I took off my pants, just took off my pants and ran in my underwear. And, and what, what did you wear? What you, did you have sneakers on or were you running shoes? Yeah, no, they were like uh, Reebok gardening shoes or something. They were <laughs> like, like, <laughs> they shoes, were like, like, yeah, sneakers you like walk around in, like you just for hanging yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 
Yeah, they were not running shoes. And, right. and, and I mean, I say I ran 30 miles that night, but I, you know, let's be honest, I, I hobbled, I, you know, I, I mm. stumbled, I, I sobered up about 15 miles down the road and I thought, you know, what, what, what am I doing? But it just felt right. So I kept going and, and ran straight through the night, made it 30 miles and decided I was going to become a runner after that. Well, I'm interested in the part. I know you called your wife then because you t- tell this in one of your interviews that I watched. You called your wife. She was worried about you because you, you were out all night and, you, and she came and picked you up. So, so that's how the running started. But I, I'm interested in what happened. Why did you stop running? Because you were such a good, obviously, competitive runner. Uh, I read something on Wikipedia. You never know if you can trust what you read there that you, you didn't like your coach or something. Who, you know, I, like I, I'm, I'm now been teaching tennis a lot in the last five or six years with my brother at, at, at our McEnroe Tennis Academy. So I'm interested in those stories because I'm always trying to learn about, you know, how to talk to kids, how to deal with kids, how to motivate them. What motivated me or my brother when we were young growing up might be different from kids we were dealing with. So what happened? Why did you stop running for 15 years? You're obviously really good at it. Yeah. And I enjoyed it, you know, but to your point, um, the coach that I love, the cross country coach, Ben or Cummings, he retired. Okay. And his attitude was, he was more like a, a mentor, like a, almost like a, a Buddha figure to me. I mean, he just said, you know, run with your heart. Don't run with your legs. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, if you feel like running five miles to train today, run five miles. If you feel like running 10 miles, run 10 miles. If you feel like jogging slow, jog slow. If you feel like, you know, sprinting, sprint. Mm. And the, uh, the track coach took over the program and the track coach was much different. He was very regimented. He had us on a track, you know, running around in circles. Right. You know, cross country was up in the, it was on the trails, you know, in the hills. Uh, nothing better. The nothing, yeah. Nothing better yeah. than running outside. I mean, what, this is one of the things I love is hiking and, and walking, running, whatever you do, but to be in nature. Yeah. And to me, running was about exploration. It was discovery. Mm. It was adventure. And I, I just hated being on a track running around in circles. It just, it didn't, I wasn't hardwired for that. It, 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 it just felt forced. So, you know, and let's face it, teenagers too, or it's an emotional time. I mean, I was chasing women. I was, <laughs> Right. I was chasing waves. I was a big surfer, so I was chasing mm-hmm. waves. So I just said, who needs this running? It's just a waste of time. And hung it up. What about tennis? You ever get into tennis? Oh, I, you know, I've been, I, I took tennis lessons when I was eight years old. Oh, really? And okay. Yeah, no, I, I love the sport. And I used to live in Australia, actually. I was, a, I was a, an exchange student in high school. Okay. Now, you grew, was, you, uh, you, you grew up in Northern Cal or Southern? I know you were born in Southern Cal, right? But where did you grow up? Born in Southern California. Yep. Or in yeah. South Orange County. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's but, uh, moved, a tennis yeah. hotbed there. Hotbed. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife is a, was a big-time tennis player, even in high school. We were high school sweethearts. Mm-hmm. but. When I moved to Australia, uh, the house I was living in, um, they had a grass court. Mm. It was awesome. Yeah, very fact, common. Yeah, common. Awesome. yeah, common in Australia to have the actual real grass courts. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I used to go surfing and come back in my board shorts soaking wet. And I would play uh, with one of, the, the, one of my neighbors mm-hmm. barefoot. <laughs> we played barefoot. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So, and, so you know, I, what, I, what, what, what was your, I mean, you just played tennis for fun, obviously. Did you ever compete in tennis? Yeah, no, I mean, not on any level that was right. significant. You know, local club mm-hmm. stuff and, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I've played some doubles. I'm not very good at doubles. I'm a better single player. And, you know, that I played tennis before COVID. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here I am, you're talking about my fitness level, right? Right. You know, I'm running 200 miles nonstop and so forth. But if you think about what I do, everything is in a straight line. Like I'm mm-hmm. moving just in a plane going straight. And after uh, five sets of tennis, 
I could barely get out of bed the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, so can I, by you the way. Know, I play the right, I mean, right, right. Yeah, to change of direction. And, yeah. Yeah. And I, I tried to play a good game. I was bending my knees, you know, I was doing everything I, I should do when you're, you know, you're with good strokes and it, I paid the price. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like any, like you said, I mean, you get, your body gets used to whatever. So I could go out and play tennis after not having played for a while. Yeah. My shoulder might get a little sore, but you're, you're, you're used to those movements. Whereas if I haven't run for a while, if I haven't jogged, and I go for a three, five mile run, which is like, you know, uh, you do that while you're sipping your cup of coffee. Uh, okay. So you get back into running and obviously, you know, you've made a career out of it. You've written numerous books. You've got a new one coming out called the runner's high, my life in motion, which is coming out in about a month or so in mid April. So we're look for that. Um, how did you, I, I heard your story about, you know, you, you, the corporate life was bullshit. You weren't into it. You wanted to do, you know, find your passion, which obviously was running, but how about making a career out of it? I mean, that's not easy. I mean, it's not easy. You know, as a tennis player, you know what you have to do. You got to be good enough to get in Wimbledon and the U S open and so on as a runner. I mean, even if you're one of the best runners in the world, it's not easy to actually make a living and make money. So what was that transition like when you, quit your corporate job. You got a, you had a master's degree. You did all the education and so on. You had a good, you know, kind of cushy corporate job. You said, screw this. But what, what was it like, you know, before you were the famous ultra marathon man, which is by the way, the name of your website, ultramarathonman.com. Uh, you turn, you've turned it into this, you know, this awesome business, but what was it like when you first started? Okay. How am I going to actually survive and do this? Yeah, no, it was, it was terrifying for all those reasons. It, you know, I, um, I had no idea how I was going to make a living. I just knew that it was what I wanted to do. Mm. And I knew that, you know, I'm, I'm going to wake up at 50 years old and either, you know, have it, given it a go and uh, succeeded or failed. But I thought I'd be much better off, you know, trying than not trying. Like, I didn't want to wake up at 50 and say, man, I wish I would have pursued that running. Uh, my life would have turned out differently. So I kind of kept that mindset. But to your point, especially the races I'm doing, you know, these hundred mile foot races through the mountains right? where they're, you know, when I was started out, there's 40 or 50 guys doing it. Now they're like hugely and, you know, popular. Yeah. They're popular. Yeah. yeah. But still, I mean, if you, if you finish, you get a medal, you, you get a belt buckle mm -hmm. and you know, there's, there's no prize purse involved. There's no right. money for winning. And there was, there was no infrastructure to your point. Like it, there was no, you know, you play good tennis in high school, right. you get a scholarship, you play collegiate, you know, mm -hmm. tennis, you go on the tour Right. And that just didn't, it doesn't exist in our sport, you know, the, in running. So I kind of looked at people like uh, Tony Hawk, you know, the skateboarder. Sure. Yep. And a guy named Laird Hamilton, who was a, oh, yeah. you know, was a surfer. big, big yeah. wave surfer. Right. He's actually good, he's good buddies with my brother, by the way. They actually train a lot in Malibu because my brother's got a place on the beach in Malibu. So he and Laird have become buddies over the years, uh, you know, going biking in the mountains up there. Yeah, I've been down there a couple times myself. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, I, I kind of looked at those guys and said, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're doing something in their sport that was unheard of. I mean, you know, Tony Hawk building an empire skateboarding. <laughs> right. So I, I said, you know, what are they doing and how can you apply kind of those best practices to, you know, to making a living as a runner? And, and it kind of worked out. So you've obviously done these, you know, amazing things. You ran across Death Valley, which was like 130 degrees. You did that. That how many miles was that? Yeah, it's a race called the Badwater Ultra Marathon. It's okay. 135 miles from the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere right. across Death Valley, and it finishes on uh, Mount Whitney, which is the highest point in the contiguous U.S. So it's the lowest point to the highest mm. point 
straight through across Death Valley, 135 miles. Unbelievable. And then you ran another one <laughs> where it's usually teams. It's like a 200-mile race because 100 wasn't enough. So you went for the 200. Was that the hardest one you ever did, the, the 200, or was it the, the heat of Death Valley? Or I know you ran in the, you know, in the cold as well. You've run on every continent you've done at least twice. You've run marathons or, or ultra marathons. So what, what would you say is the toughest race you've ever run? You know, in a lot of ways, running 50 marathons mm. in 50 states in 50 days was the toughest just because it, it was so daunting, you know, to wake up uh, and barely be able to get out of bed and think, wow, this is marathon 18. Right. You know, um, I've got 32 on top of this. I, I don't right. know if I can finish today. How am I going to keep doing this 32 more times? So I think it was, it was such a psychological, you know, game that 50 marathons mm-hmm. in 50 states in 50 consecutive days. It'd be hard to, you know, even the 135 miles across Death Valley, it is punishing. I mean, it's grueling. But the finish line is always kind of, it's there. It's mm. more quantifiable. You can kind of wrap your head around it. It's mm-hmm. impossible because <laughs> it's going to be right. 130 degrees. You know, you're going to have a ferocious headwind. You're going to be dehydrated. You know, shit's going to happen. But at least you know, you know, it's probably going to happen within 40 hours. Like right. within there's 40 a, hours. Yeah, there's an end game. Yeah. There's an end game. It's, yeah. like, it's like playing the fifth set when you know there's a fifth set tie break. And it's, you know, if you a million degrees in Australia, but those, you know, I thought I was tough. Those matches lasted, you know, four to five hours. And what you're doing, it obviously is different, you know, with, uh, as you said, a straight line, but I'm, I'm interested. I want to go back to where I started just sort of in the logistics. I know it was a lo- the logistics of putting together the 50 marathons in, in 50 States, 50 days. A lot of that didn't, you know, you had a great team obviously helping set up the race and set it up and so on. But just for you as the athlete, This episode is being brought to you by Raya Eyewear. Over the last few years, a growing concern of mine has been the long-term effects of overexposure to UV rays from my extended time on court in the sun, you know, following that little yellow ball all over the globe. Well, I was also just tired of squinting on sunny days, but my fear was always that wearing sunglasses to protect my eyes would affect the way I hit the ball. Well, last year, especially during the pandemic last summer, I came across Raya, and I'm so, so glad that I did. Raya is changing the way tennis players see the game and protect their most important performance asset, their vision. All of their eyewear is handcrafted in Italy and built specifically to enhance ball contrast and provide protection from those harmful UV rays. There's no question that they help me see the ball better, they relax my eyes in the sun, and they've become an essential part of my tennis experience. Check them out at RiaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. Use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. I promise you will love these sunglasses. This episode of Holding Court is being brought to you by True. That's T-R-U, the lifestyle beverage. Absolutely amazing. Go to drinktrue.com to learn more. I suggest you try out the True Sampler, 30% off with the code PATRICK. Okay, I want to understand. You wake up, you run the race. Obviously, in the morning, you have a light breakfast, whatever you you eat during the race. Then when the race ends, give me an idea, Dean, of what it's like from from that point point on until the next morning when you wake up in a different place and run another race? <laughs> it was exhausting because after the race, I would do like uh, an appearance, press a and stuff. signing, right. a book, yep. 
yeah, I mean, how did I pull it off? You know, to your point. Well, one, I figured I could not do the logistics. It was too complex. Mm -hmm. So I, I worked with the agency that coordinates the Olympic torch run across the U.S. And they're logistics experts. Right. So we got them in place. And then I said, I need sponsors to support this. Sure. Well, all of a sudden, you know, the first five companies I talked to, you know, Toyota Motors, Timex Watches, you know, Nature's Path Foods, all of them said yes. Mm -hmm. So now I've got this, wow, I can, I can fund this endeavor. Like, this right. is going to be great. But now I've got obligations to these sponsors. Like, mm -hmm. at the end of every race, they're going to have their, you know, they're going to have samples they're giving out to the people that ran with me. It wasn't just me, just one guy. You know, I had this, like, army of Forrest Gumpers along with me that would show up in these random places mm -hmm. to run the marathon with me. So I'd sit around, take pictures, you know, sign books. And then, you know, after completely exhausting myself, I'd get in a bus. Okay, all right. <laughs> and, you know, drive to the next state. And in the Western states, sometimes that was eight or ten hours of driving. Right. And you just, you do not want to do that after running a marathon. You do not want to sit idle in a bus, mm -hmm. especially after being on your feet. You know, I was on my feet for maybe six, seven hours, and then I'm sitting down on a bus. And so sometimes I get three or four hours of sleep and it'd mm. be the next, you know, next day, next routine, next marathon. And what are you eating when you're in the, when you finally get, okay, you start, you know, what, what kind of food are you eating to get yourself replenished? And I, I, I read, tell me if it's true that you started the, uh, the first race you did, and you weighed 154. And then when you came back at the end, the last one you ran was New York City Marathon. You were 153, which I find fa amazing that you were able to keep the your weight on. So what were you eating? Yeah, and I was eating about 10,000 calories a day. <laughs> wow. So, you know, and I would say it was a, a mix between, you know, athlete food and mm -hmm. athlete, you know, electrolyte replacement um, beverages and things like that. Right. And then I, I try to eat, you know, like to me, uh, wild seafood, mm -hmm. you know, wild caught seafood is, is the, it's the best healing food ever because it's rich with good source of protein and the omega three fatty acids. Mm -hmm. So I was eating, you know, whenever I could, I was eating uh, a lot of salmon, uh, a lot of sardines, like this might sound kind of gross, but mm -hmm. a lot of mornings, I, all I would have is a cup of coffee and, and a tin of sardines and olive oil. Get your, get, <laughs> your, get, your, get your fat and your protein and you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. And that would sustain me usually, you know, at least until the half, half marathon mark. Wow. And obviously you, you get drinks and stuff while you're running the actual race, right? But that's what I mean. You can only intake, uh, you can't intake that much while you're actually running. No, you can't. You know, thankfully there, we, you know, there was aid stations set up on most mm -hmm. of these marathons so I could get hydration. But a lot of times I had to carry stuff with me. Like around, like you know, food in, in your pockets and stuff, or on the side, you have those little uh, where you can grab it out of your out of your hip and so on. Yeah, a little hip. Right. I had a, <clears throat> a like a hydration pack, right. or, you know, a hip pack, depending on how you know how how much access I had to support along the way. So when I when I when I made, I had a one really good turn. Well, I had a couple decent tournaments, but one really good one when I was in my mid twenties uh, at the Australian Open, and I made the semifinals in singles. And I also made the finals in doubles, the same tournament. So on my, you know, normally would be the day off in between singles matches, you know, you play best of five sets. I would play a best of five set doubles match, which is physically not that taxing, but you know, you got to go out there and you got to be in the heat. So anyway, when I came back from the trip, uh, I was 12 pounds lighter. 
when I came back. So I, I needed, Dean, I needed yeah. you because I wasn't, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just, you know, ordering takeout and drinking like gallons of water, you know, every night uh, in between matches. I was on my own doing my own thing. But clearly I wasn't doing what I should have been doing because you, you only lost one pound and you ran a freaking marathon every day. Yeah, I think, you know, and unfortunately, you probably lost a lot of muscle mass because you yeah. probably didn't have a lot of body fat in the first place. No, I don't so, think so. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's not, it's not real good to turn over your muscle like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's... <laughs> so tell but me... there again, yeah. you know, you're playing a lot of tennis. I mean, congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was a decent run. You know, I had, I had a couple of decent runs in me. Speaking of runs, okay, a runner's high, your, your latest book. Um, what's... Uh, What's what's the theme behind it? I know you've written you've been very you've written many successful books on New York Times bestseller list, um, so you you, you kind of know what you're doing there. What is this one about? Now that you're you're a little bit older than me, you're like mid later fifties now, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I, <laughs> I can't believe it because I don't feel my age. <laughs> well, I, yeah, yeah. So, so tell me about the yeah, book, so and then I want to hear about what you've been doing this last year. Yeah, so the you know the, my first book was called Ultra Marathon Man, and it was kind of a coming of age book. It was about discovering this world of ultra marathoning and these, these crazy events that we've just described. And A Runner's High is kind of a sequel to that, mm-hmm. but it's a sequel now two and a half decades down the road. <laughs> right? Like how how have, how have I never had a, an injury? Like right. I've never had a running related injury in twenty five years of just pushing the limit. So it's it's about you know not only my training, but also how do you, how do you stay true to a sport that's so grueling for so mm-hmm. many years and how do you sustain yourself? How do you make a living? Right. How do you do these things? And the, and then, you know, how do you deal with things like we talked about your daughters early on, like having kids, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm out there running crazy, you know, miles every day. And all of a sudden I've got a couple kids, you know, being a, a you know, responsible father, how do you balance that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do you deal with aging parents? Sure. Um, so it's, it's kind of those themes, but it's mainly, it's, it's mainly a, a love story to running just to mm-hmm. a lifelong passion of, of the, you know, the, the sport, the activity and the lifestyle of running and it's story driven, mm-hmm. you know, like people who read it, they're like, it's, there's some really funny stories. I mean, one of them is, uh, we haven't talked about this, but I, I, I ran across America one time. I ran from LA to, to New York City. Mm-hmm. And as I was running through uh, Washington, D.C., I, I got a call from the White House. <laughs> and they said, Hey, there's someone here that wants to meet you. Right. And I'm like, Oh, this is a prank call. First I'm a little, all, I'm a little, like, no, bi- no. I'm a little busy here. Hold on. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And I was like, Well, who, who is it that wants to meet me? Right. And, and she said, Well, her name is Michelle. Mm. And I'm like, Okay, okay. Michelle. And I'm thinking like maybe a sous chef at the White House, you right. know, or press secretary. And they, I'm like, Michelle who? And she's like, well, her last name's Obama. Like, do you, do you know who Michelle Obama is? <laughs> yeah, rings a bell. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been running for 65 days nonstop, but I right. still know who she is. Yeah. So they, I literally ran into the White House, ran right down the hall of the mm-hmm. White House, and press secretary said she's out on the South Lawn waiting for you. Banked the left, ran out <laughs> to the South Lawn, and there's Michelle Obama. Absolutely amazing. Did she have any? It was, it was a crazy story. I hope she had some yeah. food for you so you could refuel because I'm sure you, 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 you were very polite and did your thing and then you were out the door. Yeah. It, well, you got to read the book. Okay. It, was, it, right. was, right. it, was, it was a funny story how the food came. Yeah. Okay. okay. On golf carts. Uh, okay. On presidential golf carts. Yeah. At least it wasn't the Big Macs that Trump brought to the uh, college, <laughs> whatever it was, the football team. All right. So, um, 
So we covered your books, and uh, there was one other thing I asked you, right? But before that, what was it again? You asked me about the pizza. Like, how do you pull that off? Oh yeah, and yeah. Is it real? Yeah. yeah. How did so you I'll pull tell that you, off? It was. Yeah. So, and I've, I've got to tell. I've got to set the uh, the stage here. This Please. is during a two hundred mile uh, run that I'm doing. It's a twelve person relay race. Right. That I'm doing solo. So I'm out in the middle of nowhere. It's the second night of running. I'm starving. You know, thankfully I had a cell phone and a credit card. And the, the first thing that came to mind is just, hey, order a pizza. Order a pizza on the run. Yeah, Domino's. <laughs> yeah, it seems so. Yeah. So uh, it was actually Roundtable. And, okay. and I called him and I said, you know, a couple things here. Um, don't slice it mm-hmm. and, and make it with a really thin crust. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking when he delivers it to me, what the, I'm going to have a box of pizza. So I just rolled it into this big Italian like burrito of pizza and, and just, you know, mowed as I ran <laughs> this big slab of pizza. Unbelievable. And it, it was amazing. I mean, yeah, it got all over me. It was messy, but it was so good. And, and you know, to your point, like, how do you, how do, you do this when you're, mm-hmm. when you're running? Like, you're thinking about eating a pizza in between, you know, sets of, of tennis. Uh, imagine playing tennis for 48 hours nonstop. Oh my God. You know, you're you're going to get hungry beyond, right. you can only eat so many en- energy bars and energy gels before you, <laughs> you you're need just something craving to eat. something a little more substantial. What, 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 would yeah, the, what, would, yeah. what, what the psychological, you know, part of that too? I mean, being, you know, basically you ran straight for three and a half days. So, I mean, for a normal person just to stay awake, right? That's, that's like forms of torture, right? When they torture people, they make them stay awake. So you're not only staying awake, you're running. So what, I, I mean, were you at different points d- delirious when this was going on? Well, well who said I was staying awake? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, oh, you, you, I, you I took little naps and running. Okay. While I was running, I, I remember waking up in the middle of the road and mm-hmm. thinking, why am I running down the middle of the road? I'm going to get run over. And I, I meander back over the shoulder. And then it, it happened again. I woke up and I'm running down the middle of the road. And I realized I'm sleep running. I'm lit- my body's literally falling asleep. And I can just continue to run. And you, I guess the craziest thing is after two bouts of, you know, you know comatose sleep running, I, I felt rejuvenated. Like I got new life pumped into me. So mm-hmm. that, was, that was pretty wild. That's crazy. Now, give me an idea of what, um, what a normal, obviously we're all dealing with COVID, so everything's abnormal as far as just the last year has gone. But could, could, you know, tie that into the way things have been. Obviously, you haven't been able to do your normal travel, your races, and traveling all over the world, just you know, same in our world, in the tennis world. Um, but what, what, what's sort of a normal day for Dean Carnassus like without COVID or with COVID, whatever, just as far as like what's your routine? You get up, you run, what? 10 miles, 20 miles would give me an idea of what you do day to day, week to week when you're just kind of existing. Yeah. Well, when I, when I have a training block, you know, mm-hmm. when, when COVID wasn't a factor, I'd, you know, get up at four in the morning and, and I'd like to run a marathon before breakfast. Okay. So, so, so that's, that's like a normal where... deal for you to run a, just a marathon <laughs> a day. Yeah. It's not, and sometimes I do some speed work in the afternoon, like a, a double it up. Okay. But, you know, with COVID, I've, I've just found myself doing long runs like that, but at just my own pace, kind of just a sanity pace. Kind of what, so you're, going what, you're, out, what, you're, what your old coach said to you, run whatever you feel, basically. Yeah, run with your heart. Uh-huh. And it's, it's kind of been, you know, I, I hate the word healing, but mm. it's, it's just kind of been my place. Like, you know, so many people have said to me, running just to save my life. And in a lot of ways, it's, it saved mine as well. Mm-hmm. But it almost was cliche until COVID hit where, you know, I was really feeling this, 
the loneliness of, you know, my, my normal life, even though I'm a, a big introvert, it was travel. So right. I, was, I was going to these running events, you know, I was immersed with other runners, mm-hmm. you know, I was hugging babies, you know, shaking hands, doing selfies. Yeah, and, you also, and, you also, and it's like, the little. I'm sure it's a little bit like the tennis circuit. It's like, you know, when I travel to the Australian Open or to Wimbledon, you know, I see the same people that I've seen, you know, for the last 30, 30 years or so. So I'm sure in your world, there's all, there's a little bit of that, you know, it's the same kind of crowd that goes, that runs these ultra marathons. And then obviously your, your celebrity is at another level. So you've got more responsibilities, but there's some, is there, a, I mean, I've, I've missed that, that comfort in, you know, traveling and seeing my old buddies I played against that are from Spain, that are from Italy, that are from Australia, you know? So it's like, I mean, I'm thinking about it now. It's been a year basically a little, just about a year since COVID hit. I've been on one flight in the last year, one flight. Well, two, I went, I went to Florida and back just to see my daughter who was down there actually playing tennis. So uh, how, I mean, like you said, going inward for you must be, must, must've been, I guess, kind of nice, right? Because you kind of go back to why you started, you know, why you left that job at 30. Yeah, it was, it was real nice at first, Patrick, but it, you know, then I, I missed all the things you just discussed. Mm-hmm. I missed right. seeing those people. I can't be like my people. Like I, I right. really miss them. And I never thought I would. I never thought, you know, I'm, I'm such a loner by nature. I thought, oh, everything will be fine. But um, I realized how much I really enjoy those interactions. It's kind of another, it kind of fuels my need to be by myself. It's just being, you know, immersed in people and then coming back home and just going and running off in the mountains by myself for a couple hours. Now it's just I run off in the in the mountains for a couple hours with you know with either a good podcast like I'm going to listen to this one mm-hmm. or, or, oh, just this my own, or just my yeah. own thoughts. Yeah, holding yeah. court, yeah. man. Yeah, season two is you're going to be right there in the middle of it. It's going to be awesome, and I got some awesome other guests as well. And having you uh, come on has been an absolute pleasure and a treat for me to first of all to learn about your career and what you've done. Um, do you ever have a day before I let you go, Dean, where you, you, you don't want to run? Is there, <laughs> that day ever happen where, you know what, I'm just going to kick back and, you know, watch the Super Bowl or whatever sport you're into or watch the Wimbledon final. Is it, have you ever had a day where you're just like, I'm just going to kick, kick my feet up and not run. I'm not, I'm not in the mood. Of course. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of days like that. Okay. And, what I usually find, Patrick, is that if I can get myself out the door, and I'm pretty disciplined at getting myself out the door, once you get out the door and you start going, you're happy you did it. Right. right it's right. just, it's, you know, it's getting out the door. It's getting your gear on and mm. motivating to do that. But once you get moving, it all kind of comes together. Well, listen, it all came together here on this podcast. And uh, you keep doing what you're doing. Let's hope that we can all get back to uh, – hitting the road again, figuratively, because obviously, literally, that's all you do. And uh, I've been lucky enough here in New York to be able to get on the tennis courts and uh, work with the kids and hit with my brother and, and, and still play the game I love. What, what is, when you look towards, I mean, we're both in our mid fifties, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it certainly doesn't get any easier for me um, to get out and run around in the tennis court. I mean, I still love to hit the ball. You know, I love the sound of, of hitting the ball cleanly, so wh- where do you think uh, you're just going to keep running and running? I mean, there's no, there's no, you, we got to keep doing it, right? I, I have to keep doing it. I have to, you know, stay true to the man I am. And, you know, I, I, the only podiums I'm seeing these days are for age class victories, you know? And, <laughs> right. And, and no one, no one cares 
you know, who wins your age group except for people in your age group. Right. You know, so I've, I've, you know, come to the realization that, you know, my, my competitive days are, are behind me, but I can still keep doing what I love. And I, I like to say my finish line is a pine box. Mm. You know, yep. <laughs> when I'm 10 feet under, I'm done. Yeah. Well, you're not done yet. Dean Carnassus. So thank you so much for coming on. Good luck with the new book, A Runner's High, My Life in Motion, out in uh, mid-April. And you can uh, go to his website, ultramarathonman.com, and learn as much as you'd like to about this man. Thanks again, Dean. Keep on going. And uh, don't forget to get out there and hit that tennis ball sometimes, too. Right? It's good to make sure you do something. Just like I got to get out and go for a run once in a while, run the hills in my neighborhood here. You got to get out there and hit that ball, okay? I, I'd love to play around with you. All right, sounds so good. Let's make it happen one day. Yeah, oh, just, be, yeah. just be gentle on me. Just, I, I'm a runner. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> Dean Carnassus, everyone here on Holding Court. Thanks so much, Dean. Thanks for having me. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Mudhouse Media.